Well, thanks so much for watching Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta. And today we welcome three guests. We have Dr. Chiranjeev Kathoria, who is Executive Chairman and Co-Founder of Ocean Biomedical. He is also an investor, physician, and philanthropist. We welcome Dr. Jack Elias, who is the Scientific Co-Founder at Ocean Biomedical, Emeritus Dean of the Medicine and Biology, Warren Alpert Professor of Translation Sciences, Professor of Internal Medicine and MM, MMI at Brown University's Brown School of Medicine. And our final guest is Dr. Jake Curtis, who is also a scientific co-founder at Ocean Biomedical. And he's the Stanley M. Arison Professor and Chair of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine, as well as the Executive Director of the MD-PhD program at Brown University's Brown School of Medicine. So thank you guys all for being here to talk to us about Ocean Biomedical. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, Mark. So let's just start a little bit talking about what Ocean Biomedical is and what makes it different. So you're going to be working with universities to try to get some of the research that they're doing, the amazing work that they're doing, and help them commercialize it so that these innovations that they're getting in medicines and therapies can get out there to actually make a tangible difference in the world. And you said one of your missions is to change the world. So whoever would like to take this question, you know, share with us why this is so innovative and how this is going to change the world. I think what's really unique about Ocean Biomedical, it's a really innovative business model that I think is going to change the paradigm of biopharma, you know, research and investment. We basically accelerate the commercialization of innovative assets contained in the top research universities and medical centers. I think our initial core portfolio of oncology, fibrosis, and infectious diseases are all based on new target discoveries. And what's very unique, they've all been developed through ongoing and past grants, totaling almost $124 million. We believe that there are tremendous assets that are at universities all across the nation, and in fact, all across the world, that if appropriately taken and moved into the entrepreneurial space, can be tremendous drugs for people that would ease a lot of suffering and cure diseases. And they're just sitting there because the process of going from the university to an entrepreneurial activity where you actually make the product to have it be available to patients is a very complicated uh, pathway and a very difficult pathway. We are uh, hoping with this unique model that we will take the assets that we have now and move them forward so that they can become very useful therapeutics. And then as space is made, we bring in new assets that otherwise would not have the kind of investment that they need and might never actually get off the shelf uh, and into patients. Uh, it's our dream that we can lubricate this pathway so that drugs move from academics to industry, to patients in an expedited fashion, uh, in a very uh, uh, coordinated fashion. Jake, during the pre-interview, you were exceptionally passionate when you were telling us about this, and you said that the innovations that these universities have are really nuggets of gold. And you tell us, you know, what is that? Yep. You were yeah, very, so giving us problem. a very vivid picture. These research assets are nuggets of gold, but... The paradox is you can't just go harvest them down at your jewelry store at Cartier's. No, you got to go digging through the muck. They're buried under mountains and mountains of administrative morass. Um, admired 
in administrative morass. I like that alliteration going there. So <laughs> why did we do this? Why did Jack and I team up with Chiranjeev to create a new company? Why? So I did it because I had a pitchfork at my back. And that pitchfork driving me forward was the inability. I, you know, I'm 55 years old. I'm looking into the future and I'm thinking, you know, when I retire at my retirement party, I'll have my children around me and I will look them straight in the eye and I will say, I saved a lot of mice. And they will say, dad, you wasted your life. And I simply don't want that to happen. We need to have a better way to move assets out of universities into the clinic. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you can see this. Fancy magazine, right? So we got our assets published in literally the world's greatest scientific journal. We've done it twice, once in nature, once in science. And yet still we struggle to put shots in arms. Let me give you an example. For 45 years, we work on malaria vaccines. There has not been an effective malaria vaccine. SARS-CoV comes along what? Nine, within six months, seven months, it was a bloody miracle. We went from discovering the pathogen to vaccinating children. It was incredible. What was the difference? Capital and will. We need to be able to apply those things in a much more systematic fashion to the assets that are languishing at our universities. We need to harvest the $78 billion every year that NH, uh, NIH and NSF pump into our universities. We need to harvest that and get it into people's arms. And so that's what I'm really excited about, uh, finding better ways, better incentives, better structures to get these great assets out of universities and into the product development pipeline. And so that's really what Ocean's all about. And as Jack said, we're starting with, I think, three total awesome assets, one in cancer that isn't for a specific subtype of cancer, but rather it's very cancer agnostic. It seems to have activity against the vast majority of visceral tumors. So Jack shown incredible activity with his uh, monoclonal antibody against uh, both uh, lung, all, all, you know, with the majority of the driver mutations. So lots of different lung cancers, as well as brain cancer and in metastatic melanoma. So really exciting area. He's got a small molecule for fibrosis. Pulmonary fibrosis is a, you know, a, a huge disease, 200,000 cases a year. We don't have any way to really treat it. Patients die literally suffocating. It's awful. Um, and then, of course, other fibrotic diseases, you know, my favorite, alcoholic fibrosis of the liver, you know, not really my favorite, but we certainly have a huge problem there. And non-alcoholic fibrosis, the liver, huge problem. And then what I work on, which is the infectious disease platform, you know, malaria is the greatest single agent killer of children on the planet. Since we've been jawing here, we've had every 15 seconds a kid is dead of malaria. It's ridiculous. And so we clearly need to do better there. And we've got both um, uh, vaccines on the same lipid encapsulated mRNA platform as our, our COVID vaccines. Uh, we have therapeutic antibodies and we have small molecule drugs. So it's really three awesome asset areas and an engine for continued growth. And that's what has me pretty fired up about it. Wow, uh, Jake, it's uh, just to hear you talk about it, it's got us all fired up, I think. And and yeah. hearing the three of you talk about it, I think I'm maybe yeah. understanding a little bit of this. Uh, you know, obviously physician by background, but not in this space at all. So it's really exciting. So you have access to 
uh, the the assets themselves. Uh, you have you're trying to get them some air and have them breathe in some of this capital to sort of provide some infusion. That sounds tremendous. I love the model. Uh, a couple of things that I think it would be helpful for our audience to understand a little bit more of in terms of the model is the way you've set it up so that it provides a tremendous incentive to the institution and to the researcher. So if you could tease that out a little bit, I think that would be helpful. And something else that all, all three of you explained to us in the pre-interview was about how you've created the scientific process on your end so that you can actually vet maybe hundreds of these potential nuggets of gold and figure out which ones you really want to uh, invest in. So please uh, help us with a couple of those if you don't mind. I think what's very unique, these assets that are developed by the university get stuck in the valley of death. You have some of the smartest people in these hospitals and institutions developing these assets with over $70 billion of government grants that just sit there and will never see the light of day. The unique business model is we create a subsidiary where 20% of the equity goes to the principal investigators in the universities. And then these can be spun out very quickly into an IPO process. Just to give you an example, when these assets go to phase one, just in oncology, the Roche Prometheus transaction for phase two was valued at 1.4 billion. Um, sorry, that's in IPF. In oncology, the Lilly Luxo transaction, when it was approved, was valued at 8 billion. So it just shows how valuable these stakes are for the universities, which could really help with their endowments and their missions. And this can be done over 18 or 24 months. The other side of it is, is we have a multi-layered process for evaluating new potential assets to, to, to invest in. Uh, it starts with me and with Jake. I have tremendous uh, expertise in, in pulmonary medicine, critical care medicine, uh, immunology, immune, immune diseases of all sorts. Uh, Jake has tremendous uh, expertise in infectious diseases and parasitology uh, and, and others. And, and we're trying to pick programs that would allow us to, to, to invest in them and move them forward. And by doing that, we have a goal. The goal is to be able to develop new treatments and new drugs to change the world. Jake just told you that malaria is the number one killer of children in the world. That's a, that's a, that's a humbling statement. We wanna change that. And we have set up a system where first Jake and I and, and other scientists that we have uh, working with us will evaluate things and we will then pass the more exciting ones and, and more uh, uh, useful ones on, uh, hopefully for, for uh, major investments. It, it is a way of, of getting a lot of the things done that the investigator needs to have done so that they have the resources to take a discovery in their lab and move it into, uh, as Jake said, into the clinic. You know, vetting the assets because of our structure where 10% of the equity in the subsidiary is going to go to the principal investigator. That's unheard of, just so you know. Their alternatives kind of stink compared to that. So their alternatives are one, to try and do the startup all by themselves. Most university faculty members are, are just not trained, equipped, or frankly interested in trying to go through that process. And of course, it's a humbling process, right? 
on day one, they go home to their their uh, their family and say, oh, I own 50% of a startup. And by the time they get it funded by the vulture capitalists, it's down to 0.005%. And so, you know, it's a, it's like skiing down the Matterhorn in terms of their equity stake. So that's not very great. The other alternative is for them to, to license it out to Big Pharma, which really they get about a third of the university's royalty stream, which is one to 3%. So when you actually look at that, and that doesn't happen until year seven, eight, nine, it's actually also not a great alternative. Or they come with Ocean, 20% is dedicated to the inventors. That's 10% for the principal investigator and 10% for the university. And it's non-dilutive up through phase one. So it really is an incredible opportunity to um, an, an incredible incentive for them to bring their best assets for review at Ocean. So I think our challenge is gonna be, how do we winnow it down? And as Jack said, initial pass is gonna be Jack and I and our scientific advisors. We have a couple of other, so there's a scientific review. That's really important. It's gotta be awesome science. You've gotta be review at the, the uh, licensure phase. How do you, uh, what are the IP protocol, uh, IP um, platforms? What are the um, the licensing opportunities? And that's where you really need someone with expertise in tech transfer. We actually have a SVP specifically around um, uh, external engagement. And this individual, his name's Daniel Baer, is going to be heavily involved. Um, he has a background in tech transfer, having led the tech transfer office at Brown and at Harvard. And so he's got those connections in place. And then lastly, you really need a pharmaceutical product development review. Not every great piece of science can turn into a great drug. There are all kinds of barriers. And so uh, you definitely need someone who understands what it takes to assess the market, the marketability, the manufacturability, what is the FDA clearance pipeline for that particular indication look like. So we have an individual, uh, she's actually our CEO, Liz Ng, who has deep expertise in uh, biopharma product development. She's led programs in uh, really all the all the large biopharma uh, uh, companies. So those three layers will help us vet and bring the best assets in. And so I'm, I'm really excited about that, as well as, of course, pushing forward with the three assets that we've, we've really jump-started and nucleated ocean around. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Definitely. Yeah, it's an excellent answer. Actually, I love it. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Stephanie, I was just going to jump in quickly with a with a follow on to that, uh, particularly with with Jake and Jack as as two researchers, I can, you know, feel your energy and the passion that's coming through. I guess one question is, in addition to the financial ownership uh, opportunity within Ocean Biomedical, because of your vehicle, uh, do they have do the investor, the investigators themselves have an opportunity to be involved and to remain engaged and yep. In the direction of, of where the research goes as well? One of the challenges with licensing your IP, your intellectual property, out to a big pharma is it's basically, you know, and I just went through this myself, it's like dropping your child off at college. And even though you know their cell phone number, they don't pick up. And so <laughs> the problem being, you license it out to Pfizer, you kiss it goodbye. And remember, you have sweated in the trenches for 20 or 30 years developing it. You would give your left freaking kidney to stay involved and big pharma, no thank you. So we have a very different philosophy. We as scientists understand there's no scientist on planet earth that understands that technology better than the person that invented it. And so we actually have a program where we will, we will bring them in as scientific advisors. Now remember that, University professor, that PI, is typically not a product development expert. 
And so, you know, they have to be brought in on the scientific side, not so much on the product development side. But I actually think that involvement is another powerful inducement for principal investigators to bring their science to ocean. And remember, at a university setting, the way the tech transfer offices work, the PI, the principal investigator, directs really where that intellectual property gets licensed. The one thing that that's resonating for me, Jack, is something you had said in the pre-interview about how when you have worked with faculty in your capacity as dean, what your message was to them to exhort them to do more than just being parts of the community at the medical school. And without you know trying to rephrase that in my own words, I'd just love it if you could encapsulate that for our audience, please. Uh, sure, happy to. Uh, universities are all different. Uh, there are some universities that are very, very entrepreneurially focused, uh, that are very focused on developing new treatments and, 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 and therapeutics uh, and devices to help people. There are other universities where there is not the same push to get things into the entrepreneurial space and, and into the clinic. Um, my message to uh, places where that have the latter perspective is, that I think it's the, the moral and ethical responsibility of everybody who does research, everybody who, who takes a dollar from the NIH uh, to test out some idea. It's their moral and ethical responsibility to not stop with the discovery of that single question, but to take that question into society to help people. And, and what's been very clear to me is that when you put that message out there to the faculty at universities all over the nation, whether they've been focused that way or not, they understand it, it immediately resonates with them. And they understand that their responsibility is more than just giving the, the next lecture to the students in Biology 101. It's the, it, they need to, 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 to make these discoveries and to capitalize on this moral and ethical responsibility, and then to show the students how to do it so the students can go out and have careers uh, that do great things as well. I really like that the people are in the power position with this. I think it's really cool that the three of you both have, or the three of you all have degrees in medicine. It's your passion. Really making a tangible difference in the world is something that matters to you. And I loved before when you were saying, Jake, that you didn't just want to be able to say that you've changed the lives of mice. You were looking to change the life of men and women, you know, men yep. as a yep. overall. And so it's a unique situation that people can actually retain. You know, they have 20% between the university and the investigator who retain that. But because of the background that the three of you have, you're able to find these things that you believe in your heart as a passion, passionate person in medicine can really make a difference in the people, the kids who have malaria and preventing them. You even mentioned, I think it was pre-interview, the military people who are going over that serve in areas where they're at risk for these types of diseases that over here we very rarely think about. And so what is that like to you to know that you're giving these people the equity that they need, the vehicle to be able to get their their new innovations out there and to be able to go find those nuggets of gold at these other institutions that may not be getting the same opportunities that people like Pfizer or groups like Pfizer might go to. And, you know, five years down the road, you guys already have malaria, oncology, inflammation. What in the world do you think this is going to look like when you guys really are able to get your hands on these innovations and push them out to not just the people in the United States, but worldwide? 
So I think, you know, maybe I'll start then. We can each have Jack and Jay quickly answer. I think, you know, my dad always said, try to leave the world a better place than when you come. I think this can really change the way, you know, humanity will develop. I envision in five to 10 years, you know, hopefully just with our treatments, people won't die of lung cancer, brain cancer, and 5,000 kids a day won't, you know, die from malaria. But just these three assets is just the beginning of what we can do. It doesn't only have to be in the U.S. It can be in Europe or in Asia. Jack? Um, you've said it. You said it very nicely, Sharon G. The Having this opportunity fits into a paradigm that's become a basic paradigm of, of my career and a basic paradigm uh, when I was dean of, of the medical school at Brown University, and that is that we wanted to go out and change the world. We wanted to make the world a better place. Uh, and this uh, is one of the ways we're all going to do it. And we all are really uh, dreaming that five years from now, 10 years from now, we'll be able to look at, look back and see all the wonderful accomplishments that we have. Um, it is, a, it's a very exciting series of opportunities. And I'm honored uh, and humbled to be in this position. Yep, I totally agree. I, I, I look at this, you know, the words of Albert Einstein echo for a moment, you know, this notion that, you know, we fundamentally changed our scientific understanding, but we haven't yet changed our will and desire and our wisdom. So we are at the precipice of an enormous change in biomedical science, base editing, CRISPR-Cas changing genomes, making vaccines, unbelievable treatments for cancer. We're, we're ready. These ideas, however, are stuck and they're stuck in university laboratories scattered all over this and other countries. And so if we can't catch up our ability to move ideas from the bench to the bedside, if we can't figure out a better way to do that, we're gonna you know, be left with a, uh, a, a really underperforming sector. And that's really not what we want to do. You know, we don't want to go home having saved a lot of mice. We want to actually see this get into humans. So that's how I would finish it off. I'm really fired up and hopefully uh, Ocean's going to be the vehicle that'll do it. Thank you all for being here and sharing this. That really absolutely is something that's going to transform, I think, medicine overall. And I'm really yep. appreciative that you guys are doing this. So thanks for being here. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you all three so much. It's a, it's a powerful sea change that Ocean seems to be out on the leading edge of. So really, I like it. It's good. Thank so <laughs> and thank you all for watching. Awesome. We'll talk to you Take soon. Take care, guys. Bye -bye.